It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I got my days, even though I'm coming up on six years sobriety and 15 years in recovery. I mean, I'll have the blankets over my head, in my mm-hmm. head. I'm a gong show. And, you know, uh, <laughs> seeing the demons and tackling them at full force isn't always the funnest thing to do, as you know. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast with guest celebrities, experts, and everyday people who've overcome a variety of obstacles, including addiction, trauma, and mental health issues. They've used these adversities as their greatest advantages to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about. Our guest, Ryan Phillips. uh, Man, hey, we're kind of in the same boat a little bit here. Uh, Thanks for joining us on Knocking Doors Down. Absolute pleasure. Yeah. You know, anxiety society these days. Holy Christ. If there was a poster boy in Canada for uh, uh, mental health, uh, I think I, uh, they'd have to make bobblehead doubles of me. Christ. <laughs> so, uh, but you know, uh, one of the I, US of me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put us all together in yeah. the same box, you know, as long as we're not judged too much, you know, so we'll be collectible. <laughs> Absolutely. In the collective. Yeah, in the collective. Uh, Well, I mean, speaking of, so like I'm assuming I know for me, with uh, my addiction, primarily alcoholism, man, fell off during this pandemic. Did did the pandemic just screw with you a lot? Well, I I mean, mentally, spiritually, uh, emotionally, uh, it's taken its toll on billions of people in the world. Um, I'm a sensitive guy, you know, a recovering addict. And I mean, I guess we all have our own lived experience, but at the end of the day, yeah, it's been a Jedi mind. It's, uh, you know, it's like almost like time has stood still. You don't know which days one day to the next, Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's taken its toll. And I think uh, on all of humanity, and I think it's time for, uh, you know, a lot of people here just to really step up, rise up and do the best we can to really be there for each other in all aspects of life. And, uh, you know, I always uh, say there's opportunity and chaos and, uh, you know, coming from a very chaotic life and, um, you know, just really trying to be there to help each other through these times. You know, they're turbulent. Uh, they suck. Yeah, they do. But there's always something positive to look at in that. So, um, you know, I th- this great divide has been a real challenge on everybody. And, you know, um, I try not to pay attention to too much news. This is a lot of it's negative and you never know what to believe. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we're here. We woke up this morning and uh, there was no hangover on this side. So, um, you know, uh, all I can say is my heart's full of gratitude. I'm, I, you know, I get to live another day on this planet and whatever it is, you know, I always shoot out there. How can I be of service? So right now, 
How can I be of service? The guests on Knocking Doors Down are sharing their stories and helping start the conversation about mental health and therefore are working to end the stigma. This is the goal of our partner, the Carlos Vieira Foundation, through their Race to End the Stigma campaign. The Carlos Vieira Foundation created the Race to End the Stigma campaign to not only change the way people perceive those who are living with mental illness, but also how those who are affected perceive themselves. The Carlos Vieira Foundation strives to support the mental health community through education, fundraising, and facilities facilitating resources. The main program through the Race to End the Stigma campaign is a college scholarship program that encourages high school seniors to share their stories about mental health in an effort to end the stigma. For more info on this and how to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. <laughs> you know, Ryan, you're absolutely right. I um I know that a lot of people say, "Well, you need to be informed. You need to watch it. You need to know what's going on." It's like well, if you watch the news, you're misinformed. If you don't watch the news, you're uninformed. And yeah. when you do watch the news, it's all depressing shit. <laughs> and it, it's, it really is. It's a tremendous downer on my mental health. And it's just like, oh, well, poor you. This country's going through that. That country's going through that. I understand that that's horrible. But I just figure I stay away from the news completely. If something happens, I'm sure I'll hear about it somewhere, somehow via social media or whatever, but yeah. for the sake of mental health. Yeah. I just, I, I avoid the news. Does that make yeah. sense? A hundred percent. I mean, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the relationship that we have with ourselves. Exactly. And you know, when we can have, you know, a solid, you know, relationship with our inner being, you know, we can actually, you know, expand that outwards, you know, with that vibration of love and try to like keep the fear-based mentality down to a decibel of like, eh, yeah. and, you know, just do the best we can to help our fellow man. And, you know, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, whatever we think about, we bring about whatever we focus on expands. So, you know, for focusing on the so-called negative aspects of life, you know, that's what's going to appear in our, you know, physical reality. You know, I believe a firm believer that uh, thoughts do become things and uh, powerful things at that. So, um, you know, that's, uh, you know, the whole law of vibration, lots of people, law of attraction, they say whatever, you know, when we get down to the spiritual principles and even the promises, if we can stay true to ourselves and be completely honest about what's going on inside, then, um, you know, amazing things can happen outside and feeling good inside obviously equals our point of attraction anyway. So, yeah. um, you know, even through the anxiety, even through the, de- through the depression and all that and all that, I mean, you're looking at me right now, I'm showing up, I'm here, but at the end of the day, I mean, I, ha- I got my days, even though I've, I'm coming up on six years sobriety and 15 years in recovery, I mean, I'll have the blankets over my head in my <laughs> head. I'm a gong show. And, you know, uh, <laughs> seeing the demons and tackling them at full force isn't always the funnest thing to do, as you know. So, uh, <laughs> I was say, yeah. boy, I think we can both, especially rip- when you've done so much blow. <laughs> <laughs> that was my shit, man. That was my, well, uh, I never had to pay for it. You know, all my buddies were shipping it in from Colombia via Mexico into BC, and it's a big hub here, obviously. So, right. it was like, uh, you know. I was uh, the so-called king of weed on National Geographic, but uh, no longer uh, with legalization and whatnot. But, uh, you know, all my pals, uh, you know, they were bringing in a a lot of uh, the white stuff. So whenever I was out, it was uh, a chip off the old block and, uh, you know, a couple pockets full of however many of the pure shit. And, uh, you know, I was I was a circus sideshow for for so many years. It was just like hell bent for leather. 
you know, totally extreme, you know, when you're making that kind of money as a young kid, uh, you know, just mass quantities of cash coming in from the US and whatnot with all those different trade routes and supplying, you know, all the way down the West Coast and then Chicago, New York, and, you know, you know, pioneering that industry from Canada with the hydroponics, getting down into the States and whatnot. You know, I never sold marijuana in Canada. All my stuff went southbound. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty crazy life. You know, I was always had to be uh, at the biggest and funnest, best parties in the world, which I'm grateful for because they were unbelievable times until I crossed that bloody threshold. And that's when it became no fun and no amount of money, no amount of anything could ever fill my inside of just with any happiness. It was just, it got to the point where, you know, losing friends to murder, suicides, addictions, overdoses, you name it, going to prison for a couple of years and whatnot. But on the flip side, you know, um, after my incarceration, I wasn't a good boy right away, but, uh, you know, I got out and uh, went back to my old ways for a little bit and, uh, it definitely didn't make me happy, but it was what I knew. I was told that I was never to be allowed back in the United States again, ever zilch, no chance ever again, I'm done. And, you know, having a daughter down there was uh, obviously a huge uh, component of my burning desire of wanting to get back to the States to see her. Um, and all my friends were down there too, you know, for my hockey days and my smuggling days and whatnot, you know, my, my home really felt like it was in the USA and, um, you know, by the grace of God, you know, I got sober, uh, got into a different path and, uh, got out of that game escaped by the, you know, skin of my teeth. You know, when you're making a lot of money for, uh, not just yourself, but for a lot of people and those, you know, organizations, so to speak, you know, it's hard to leave. They say it's uh, very hard to get out of uh, the mafia. And that's what it was. And, uh, you know, I I got out of it. And uh, by the grace of a power greater than me, um, you know, I found myself in Cambodia in 2012. And I'd actually written on a card two years previous, you know, we talk about the law of vibration, law of attraction and whatnot, auto suggestion, the medium for influencing the subconscious mind. I wrote on that card, I am so happy and grateful to be allowed back to the United States of America so I can see my daughter again and to be of divine service to humanity. And on the back of that card, I love faith, belief, and whatnot. And I swear to God, I laminated that card and I read that card on the shitter. I I read it in the (laughs) shower. I mean, I read it with emotion and so much, you know, I blended the emotions of faith, love, and sex. And that really gave me a direct line to to say infinite intelligence. Mm -hmm. And I'm skipping rope in Laos, this little tiny little uh, country in Southeast Asia. We're filming a movie on happiness and I get a phone call from an actress friend of mine. Uh, her name is Serinda Swan. Um, you know, she lives down there in Los Angeles. And uh, she said, we're, we're doing this bike ride across Cambodia to help with the eradication of child sex slavery. I didn't even know what that was. I, I had no idea what human trafficking was or any of that stuff. Uh, did a little bit of research after I said, I'm in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, she said, let's capture the positive aspects in that film that you're doing on giving back. And that's, you know, my life, you know, for those two years, all this became centralized on giving back. And I'm a firm believer that you get what you give. 
And, you know, you just don't have to have so much expectation of right away. It's giving it with you know, love and no expectation. And then the universe always corresponds to the nature of your desires. And so what happened was uh, I did this ride in 2012, which was, uh, you know, 10 years ago. And uh, after visiting five different orphanages and uh, the, the organization that uh, I, I did this for, was run by a CNN, a CNN hero and the United States government. Uh, Barbara Walters was involved, Queen Latifah, Ben Affleck, uh, the list goes on. Um, they got word that I, I was doing this ride across Cambodia and, uh, you know, marijuana, uh, BC's uh, biggest marijuana smuggling king of weed guy is now gone good. And, um, you know, it was beautiful just to spend time with these kids and being in the moment of that and doing a ride with purpose and every pedal was with a purpose for these children and being exposed to seeing the, you know, the, the severity of that actual decrepit business um, opened my heart uh, to a whole different realm. And the day after uh, I flew to a place called Chiang Mai, Thailand. I woke up in the morning. I checked my Blackberry at the time, the old Blackberries (laughs) there. And uh, there was an email in from my father uh, from uh, Van- back and he was in Vancouver. I was there, obviously. And uh, he said, today is a day we can rejoice as uh, you've been granted a full humanitarian pardon back down to the United States of America again. Wow. So what you believe is true. Uh, and, you know, and if you pound that into your subconscious mind, anything can happen. So and uh, it did happened. you know that so- was in the works? Nope. I had oh. no idea. Absolutely no idea. Uh, it was in the works in my own mind and right. it was in the works of my heart, my body, my soul. And uh, I couldn't have had any of that if I wasn't clean, sober and had the clarity to actually, you know, move forward into the unknown, so to speak. And uh, yeah, it's just that, you know, just having that that faith in the infinite, so to speak. The Knocking Doors Down book shares all the history and inspiration behind the Carlos Vieira Foundation and how it all started. All proceeds from the book benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation's Race to Be Drug-Free campaign. So what's that all about? Through the Race to Be Drug-Free campaign, Carlos Vieira Foundation raises awareness about drug abuse, donates to drug-free programs, and brings drug-free speakers into schools to educate youth. The Race to Be Drug-Free campaign's main program is the Gloves Not Drugs boxing program. This program is completely free for kids between the ages of 8 and 17 to learn discipline, strength, respect, camaraderie, and the art of boxing. The program was created to keep kids off the streets, out of gangs, and away from drugs. For more info and to get involved, check out carlosvierafoundation.org. Well, let's talk about the path to it. Of course, you... Oh, fuck. In addition to... (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know there's some stuff there. But in addition to, obviously, you were a hockey player, which makes me wonder, was that how you started making some of the connections? Uh, Yes. So let's kind of maybe jump back a little bit then to childhood. A lot of us, through our conversations, we're finding that... The gateway drug, people always say, oh, it's marijuana or it's your first drink or it's this. Man, we're finding it's really trauma. Was oh, there God. something with, with childhood that really kind of spawned this? this I ab- think we should get some shirts made saying uh, uh, trauma drama. <laughs> but uh, God, yeah, I mean, my, I, you know, I'm not going to complain about, you know, my parents wonderful people. My dad was, uh, you know, he was a national uh, high jump champion here in Canada. 
um, you know, just a, a, a workhorse, workaholic, you know, real successful guy, kind father that just wanted the best for his kid. And, you know, obviously hockey, hockey just came easy to me. It was my dominating dream. That's all I did uh, on my spare time. And, uh, and when I skipped school all the time was, you know, stick handle a, a ball or a puck. And it was just everything. It was the love of my life. I wanted to be the best hockey player in the world, beat Gretzky's records and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, not saying I was going to be the next Gretzky because that's every kid's dream here in Canada. Sure. But, um, you know, I had all the skills and all the tools. I was top, top prospect, one of the top prospects in the world of, at my age at that time. Left home at 16 after a lot of, you know, it was, it, it was so, there was so much pressure and you don't really realize that, you know, as a child and, you know, these days I think it's getting maybe a little bit better, but the bullying uh, that went along with it um, was, you know, you, you just kind of take it and you don't realize until you get older, how it affects you, you know, the jealousy the envy, you know, from the other the other players, uh, the parents and whatnot, that all plays into your overall, just your psyche, your well-being, everything. And, um, you know, I, I left home not being a total gong show that I turned into. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was no drinking, really. You know, I'd had a few sips here and there, tied a couple on before then. But, you know, I was so focused on my dream that nothing was going to deviate me from that path. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that my first year away from home, I was the youngest guy on the team. And, uh, you know, there was some a, a lot of abuse, especially emotionally. And, um, you know, being in a dressing room with, uh, you know, a bunch of other guys that are all trying to make it, you know, uh, I'm 16. The average age on the team was 19 and 20. And uh, so I became uh, kind of the, you know, the target to be picked on. And uh, the coach picked up on that a lot, too. He wasn't the nicest guy in the world. And I can say that with, you know, just being truthful. You know, he I wasn't a, I, I mean, I, I could fight. I could fight, but I hate fighting. I was an offensive player that loved to use his creative faculties. And, you know, there was, you know, I got pissed on. Um, I, I don't want to play any victimization here whatsoever. And I was trying to fit in and I didn't know how to fit in. You know, I felt so different from those other players and I became scared to, you know, to walk into the dressing room. You know, he would get me to punch this burlap punching bag until my knuckles bled. And, um, you know, he wouldn't play me. It was like, you know, he, he took pride almost in making me feel like crap. And I know no one can make you feel like crap, but yourself, but when you're that young and naive, and uh, yeah, so that's kind of led me on my way to, you know, hockey and drinking and just, you know, that party, just crazy ass lifestyle that that celebrity status you have in the small town. And then, you know, that leading into professional hockey is just it's crazy. I mean, of all the professional sports, you know, you take Major League Baseball, NFL uh, whatever soccer hockey takes the cake as far as the culture behind the actual game that we see on the canvas of ice. And uh, yeah, I was the brunt of a lot of stuff, uh, but it taught me a lot uh, about how to actually treat people that I didn't have to be the bully the next year. And, you know, even it's given me a great platform, even in, you know, to in, we, into the now where I can actually give back, talk about mental health, bullying, all these kinds of stuff that need to be eradicated from the game. It was uh, a lot of lessons, a lot of lessons, that's for sure. 
Did it affect your game at all? Like being bullied Absolutely. on and like, did it make you almost kind of, you know what? Fuck this. I'm done with this. Did, yep. did you ever get there? hundred percent. I mean, there was times uh, I didn't want to let my dad down. I didn't want to let my community down, but number one, I didn't want to let myself down. So I wouldn't talk about it with too many people. I was isolating my, by myself a lot of the time uh unless i was trying to you know uh, fit in at one of these parties and whatnot and you know i wasn't really uh uh i wasn't used to all these girls all over yeah it's like you know all the groupies and whatnot that kind of goes along with it too so you know i was uh I, you know i lost my way i just didn't know really who i was you know i would and then finally i you know i called home uh you know talked to my dad i was like dad this is you know i'm not happy my coach is sitting me on the bench half the time and i'm collecting slivers on my ass because all i'm doing is watching and i'm not able to actually showcase my talent mm -hmm. and you know then the injuries played in concussions broken mm -hmm. shoulders uh, collarbones hands i mean you name it um painkillers uh then you know you mix in the booze the partying like that whole lifestyle was just, it, it was complete insanity. Uh, I never thought I would ever go down that road. Shit happens. And, uh, you know, it's, it, it, like I said, it's, uh, I wouldn't take any of it back. Just like I wouldn't take anything back from anything that I've done in my life. You know, even smuggling marijuana across the border. Yeah, I paid the ultimate price. Two and a half, uh, two, two years in, in prison. You know, like uh, cause and effect, it's, you know, things happen. They all happen for a reason that lead us to the present moment. And uh, now I'm able to, uh, you know, just do the best I can to make a positive difference in the lives of others, especially in the mental health space. And, uh, you know, we can talk about the journey that uh, I'll be embarking on starting May 25th. So, and I, I'm glad you brought up the point too, is people, you know, they look at, we talk about football with the concussion rates and, and what we've seen players after that American football. I even know for soccer too, people don't realize there's concussion, but, but hockey isn't talked about enough. And um, seen many a, a players come out that they struggled with alcoholism or addiction or something after or anything to numb those pains because it is such a rough, tough uh, sport. I mean, you know, people ask me oftentimes, what are some of the best, uh, in your opinion, uh, athletes in the world? Hockey is like up there. And, you know, people don't realize that peak performance and, and the frequency that you guys are playing, let alone the injuries. When did it when do you like in reflecting, look at like, boy, this is where the rails started to fall off here. Um, I think it was my draft year. Well, actually, I don't think I know this is, you know, I it was seven games into my draft year and um, I was going full speed which is quite fast on blades there. You see how fast those players move. And, you know, I was cutting towards the net uh, and I got, I, 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 I cut an edge and I got hit extremely hard from behind about five feet away from the boards. And um, I tucked my chin in underneath my, uh, under, underneath my, uh, my sternum here kind of, and, um, you know, broke my shoulder in three places and my collarbone dislocated it all at once. And I was out like a light for almost two minutes uh, with a major concussion that wasn't treated at the time. They treated the shoulder, they treated the collarbone, uh, but they didn't treat the actual concussion. And I wasn't able to really bounce back from that ever to the capability that I could have. I wasn't able to see that. I, I couldn't see the puck right. 
um, I start. I developed a lot of ADD uh, where I was just like, what the hell is going on here? I used to have a photographic memory, you know, playing hockey, you're using all six senses. You got to know where all six players are, are, are on both sides of the rink. You know, it's a very like, you know, you're using your mind out there, mind, body and soul, everything. I, I started just not, you know, my perception was just completely off. And um, I started getting really scared about that. I was, you know, like, what's going on here? You know, I started thinking differently and I thought it was just, you know, this is maybe it's just the way I'm gro- growing up. You know, something's going on with my mom, with my brain. Many years later, I was diagnosed with bipolar later to find out the bipolar wasn't bipolar. It was post concussions that had never been treated. And I do, I worked with, uh, well, I still work, continue to work with uh, a doctor um, who's at the head of his field of neurology called uh, his name is Dr. Ashkan Jalili. And uh, he did a lot of his studying down there in Los Angeles. And uh, he said that I've had over 50 concussions in and out of hockey, sport related and unsport related. But that, that, that one concussion that I took after spec scans and whatnot, I actually was drilled at the crown of my head and a bleed went down all the way to the amygdala. And the, the amygdala is the core center of the brain, which is the seat of our emotions. So basically for the last, you know, 30 some odd years, I've been kind of like on the fight or flight thing. Uh, fight most of the time. So I really got to try to calm my nervous down, nervous system down the best I can uh, on a regular basis. That's uh, uh, with psychotherapy, a lot of work with, uh, you know, at the, at the concussion center, uh, being healed through electricity and whatnot, uh, you know, different ways of using our visuals. And, you know, uh, thank God I don't have to pick up a drink today because, uh, you know, I wouldn't be alive here talking to you guys today. You know, drugs and alcohol definitely played a big factor in, you know, expediting, I would say, you know, what was actually going on upstairs there. Because there were so many headaches and pains and, and, and just like, you know, the feeling of like, what the hell is going on? And the only thing that was actually making me feel better a lot of the time was, you know, drugs and alcohol. And I would, but yet uh, then I would come out of a, you know, a three or four day bender in Las Vegas or wherever the hell I was in the world, because I'm all over the map. And it was just brutal. You know, like literally my head felt like it was going to cut, like my brain was going to seep out of my ears. So, um, you know, glad those days are over and uh, I don't have to, uh, you know, put a bill or a straw or, and it, and it just came into a, you know, a finger pinch at the end where I was just stuffing it up my nose or all the MDMA and, God, I've done every drug under the sun mixed with, I don't know how much, how many Texas Mickeys and you name it. So just with a circus sideshow. All of that being said, how do you feel about hockey today? You know what? I, to me, I th- it's one of the most amazing, beautiful, creative games in the world. Right. Um, but uh, you get onto the whole PTSD thing of life. Sure, sure. When I watch it, uh, there's a lot of triggers that triggers me back to the past and you know, that was my dream. And I see these young kids there and I kind of wish I was still doing what I was doing mm-hmm. at the same time. Um, yeah, I got a, I got a real love hate relationship with the game, awesome. but at the same time, um, you know, where I'm at now, especially, you know, with, you know, going across the country in 2019, you know, I have so many brothers, uh, that I've, you know, throughout the game that I'd met that are, you know, so many wonderful friendships that I made, 
you know, the game will always be so close to my heart, but sure. the, the off ice uh, situations with, uh, you know, take away the hazing, but all the good friendships that I made along the way is, is just like, you can't replace that, you know, and it took me all over the United States, all over Canada, all over the world, really. And, uh, you know, so the education that I picked up, you know, beyond the game is uh, irreplaceable. And, um, you know, so, you know, these days, uh, you know, being able to go into other hockey locker rooms and just, you know, being on the public speaking uh, uh, platform of, say, a TEDx or whatever, you know, whatever I'm called to do, you know, any media platforms that I do when I'm, you know, say going across a country or something like that, you know, I get to educate these kids, young men, I should say, and um, just try to lead them on the right path and uh, give them, uh, you know, some motivation and some inspiration and, uh, you know, just give them my own true lived experience on, you know, what the ramifications are about, you know, even the way you tr just you treat your players, you know, like we're only as good as our as uh, our weakest link. So it's very important uh, in anything, not just hockey, not just, uh, you know, life in general. You know, it's, you know, everything has to be working in harmony, in, in unison, in synchronicity for things to flow in a natural state uh, to attain success, so to speak. What point then do you start with all this? And I'm glad you brought that up about the only thing that seemed to take it away was a drink, a drug or whatever it was. But yeah, ultimately, you know, maybe for people that aren't struggling, but want to understand someone who is an addict, why? That is why we, we go to the thing to numb or take away the pain or escape but yes ultimately it's 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 our destruction but you got into the drug trade how did this come about i mean because your story is pretty crazy like you said it was yeah. a social media post you did that, that you know there was no amount of selling drugs money or anything that was going to fill that void because it never did you keep chasing it absolutely yeah the disease of more right. <laughs> um you know, what happened was uh, the hockey, uh, the hockey players uh, partied with the drug dealers and uh, the fast lane scene. And uh, I was 17 at the time. I was playing in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, BC Bud was just at the beginning of, uh, you know, all the hydroponic indoor grow ops were going on. Uh, not a lot of people at that point were sending stuff across the border. And uh, I had no idea that there was even a business like that, to be honest with you. Sure. And um, one of my, my, one of my bros came, he came down to watch a game and I said, make sure you bring some good bud because there's nothing here that I can get. That's good. And uh, he brought down like a half ounce that he stuck into an old spice um, deodorant stick. Wow. And, uh, you know, so we're, we're at this party. There was probably a hundred plus people. It was at the university of Washington, UW. And, uh, you know, I'm rolling up this sticky, icky green hydro bud from BC that was like probably low grade compared to what it is now. And, uh, you know, next thing I know that I got like four or five guys over my shoulder saying like, where'd you get that? Where'd like, where'd that come from? And I was like, oh, this is the only kind of stuff that we get back home where I'm from. And he's like, dude, that's so, that's so hard to get. And I was like, oh yeah. And it kind of just like, you know, went over my consciousness for a minute and, uh, you know, or uh, about, a, about a year or so. I got back that summer. I was 18, you know, met a few people and, uh, you know, played another year down in the States for my junior hockey. I just turned 19. Some of my uh, old bros, so to speak, had uh, were about three months into uh, starting the biz 
And that biz was uh, obviously, you know, shipping across the line in uh, different ways and forms. And uh, I did my first border run at, uh, you know, I, I just turned 19 and had a hockey bag and a hockey stick and a bunch of pounds in the back of the bag. Yeah, just no fear whatsoever. And, uh, you know, it was the most money I made in one day. And I was like, how can I do this next? You know, when's the next time I do this? You it know, seeing like all the- from Blow. This is literally this. This is how uh, Johnny Depp and Blow. Have you seen that movie? Yes. Yeah. It sounds it's, just like that. It's like it is this weed, man. Oh, dude, this is what we have. Light bulb. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So one pound turned into like 10 pounds, 10 pounds turned into 20. 20 turned into 100, 100 turned into 150 to 200 to 300 to 400 to 500. And then at one point, it was like thousands a week when it got to the pinnacle. And, you know, that's when it got, you know, it got huge. When it got so big, it was too much to handle. Having to find safe houses to put, I mean, I had no room to put the money. You know, our, our best year was, uh, you know, we, we pulled in over $100 million worth of marijuana money. Sure. I mean, that wasn't all mine. I had to feed a lot of mouths along the way. People that were, you know, working for me here down south and whatnot. You know, all the, you know, fully encrypted Blackberries on a server in Costa Rica. Um, you know, the many ways of, you know, the boats, the Cessna planes, the helicopters, the Zodiacs, the kayaks. I mean, you name it. Uh, the hiking bushwhacks that we found with helicopter aerial maps. And, you know, it was just, it was crazy. I mean, I'm going to say like, I had an absolute blast doing that for a while until it got ugly where everybody started doing it. You know, like we were the pioneers that my group were the, was that first group that start like really, you know, start doing it on a big scale. And, um, you know, when, when people see how much money you're making, uh, next thing you know, you become a target oh, yeah. and, uh, you know, no, no, nobody's ever bulletproof. And, uh, you know, someone's always take, trying to, you know, maybe trying to take you down to, uh, to get to the top or whatever that looks like. Uh, but for me, I just, yeah, I just, you know, the fear thing to start setting in and, uh, you know, uh, the gang life is, uh, not my, my deal, but yeah, I associated myself with a lot of gangsters and, uh, and, and, you know, that obviously, you know, prison, being around the Mexican mafia, the Crips, the Bloods, you name it. And I think it was my sense of humor that got me through. And, um, you know, lucky enough, uh, you know, I was able to come out of that deadly game unscathed, you know, now with legalization, I'm allowed to talk about it. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hence being on the National Geographic thing there. Right. Um I was, that was a little nerve wracking, 21 hours in front of camera after riding across Canada for mental health awareness. And now I'm talking about my past. Um, it brought up a lot. And, you know, with all due respects to National Geographic, uh, they touched on maybe a pinpoint of the actual everything that went down. So on this next ride that I'm doing going across Canada and the U.S., you know, we have a wonderful producer that's jumped on board by the name of Charles Maddox. And uh, he only focuses in on humanitarian award-winning films. So we're going to be doing a full-on doc series going across Canada, then the United States afterwards. And, uh, you know, so I'll be able to really, you know, uh, delve deep into those past uh, so-called traumatic wounds of that industry. So it'll be a lot of healing for myself and also open the doorways, the floodgates for other people to tell their stories and really try to reframe the way humanity looks at mental health 
and views mental health and allowing the misunderstood to be understood. Because at the end of the day, we all, we're all going through something. We're all fighting something internally. You know, at, at, you know we, we just, we're human. You know, it's, we're spiritual beings having a human experience. And being in these physical bodies isn't the easiest thing in the world sometimes, is it? So no. <laughs> sometimes it can downright suck because we get what we get, you know, oh, or, or what we've yeah. uh, w- w- the result of our choices throughout life. So you, you talked about your father mentioning your pardon, which which is so awesome to to have people know that you can turn your life around. Ryan, you are an example of it. But what was the relationship with your folks when you were doing all this shit? I'm assuming that that was an incredibly fractured relationship that you had to rebuild too you know they were aware of what i was doing and uh you know obviously they weren't super proud uh but at the same time there was nothing anybody could say at that time you know when when you're winning the lottery pretty much every week bringing in you know that kind of currency being able to do whatever you want whenever you want you know, and that was all manifested through thought too. It was like, you know, you, you, you see the amount of money and the freedom that you can have with that kind of money and being that young, there's no really holding you back. And, you know, I remember, you know, being in the kitchen of my parents' place saying, uh, you know, I, I'm in my early twenties and I'm like, you know what, you only live once and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do and have and be the, everything that I want to do in life. I'm going to, I'm going to do. I'm just going to live life to the, to, to the absolute fullest. And you know what? Uh, I can say it uh, uh, where I stand now. I, you know, I've been to 70 plus countries. Uh, you know, I've, I've really lived a life. And so marijuana and that whole business, it, it, it gave me a lot, but it took a lot as well. But at the end of the day, it taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. And it taught me a lot about relationships and, you know, um, you know, the relationship, obviously with myself, but with my parents, you know, even though they looked down on it, they were still, you know, they, uh, they spent a little bit of that money and, you know, it's, it's hard not to temptation makes a fool out of all of us that, you know, in many aspects. And when, when, you know, when your father is, is seeing you bring in like that kind of money and burying it in the backyard and, shoving it in one of the safes and now and then i had to have people uh you know set up in apartments all over the bloody city because uh i i, I literally i i didn't know where to put all this money that was my biggest problem is i didn't know where to put all my money and uh hence my spending habit of uh over $150,000 a month paying for everybody having to be the man you know um attaching myself to an identity that wasn't me which is a massive ego fueled on you know, I, I, w- I wouldn't say I was the greedy guy because I was wanting, I was just wanting to, to give and to have all the people around me have the kind of life that I could provide. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it was fueling my ego, but at the same time, it wasn't a greediness back of it. You know, I always still look to myself as Ryan, the fun guy, hockey party dude, not the gangster guy that was that, you know, all those guys were surrounding me and I was with and highly involved with. You know, at the end of the day, you are who you hang out with. And uh, so I was looked at as one of those guys. Lived experience, you know, uh, now it's, you know, I can talk about it candidly and openly like, you know, to you guys. And uh, it's, it's just one of those things where uh, I picked up a massive education on life um, with not just with hockey, prison, 
weed, mental health, you name it. It's like, uh, you know, I can say this very, you know, I don't want to say I can say this humbly, but I actually really can say humbly. I can pretty much touch on everything in life that's going on right now because I've already been through it. I've been through the depths of hell and, uh, you know, had my freedom <laughs> taken away, you know, left at a young age. I, you know, I've been homeless. I've, uh, I've been a millionaire many times over, lost it, got it back. And, but here I stand today with a definite purpose of giving back. And I, that's all I stand for really at the end of the day, if, if, if I can just help one person and that can have a domino effect to help other people, then I'm stern and sturdy in my purpose. And, you know, that's uh, a lot of what's going on right now is, uh, you know, in the planning stages for, you know, doing something really special for humanity that's peaceful uh, with all the, the the tragedies and with everything that's going on right now with, you know, with, with the pandemic, with, with, with what's going now over on in the Ukraine, the resistance, you know, people so scared just to, they're scared of their own shadow for crying out loud, half these people these days, you know, I'm not doing this to try to be famous or anything like that. I've already had my story out there. It's, the, it, it's out there. I'm out there. I'm a, uh, you know, like, so if I can use that to my benefit to bring people together, then, you know, what, what, what's better than that? Really, at the end of the day, when you can see people smiling, you know, and that's my dream, you know, through this ride, everybody is actually welcome to join in. It's not just Ryan's ride, you know, that's, you know, I'm riding across the country, look at me, and I'm going to do these interviews, and I'm on magazines, and this and that, and whatever. No, nothing like that. So, what it's going to show is people coming together and unifying as one, right. you know, the oneness that we all share collectively that we're all attached to nothing, but connected to everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's kind of like, uh, you know, Forrest Gump, he had to run just to run. It's, he just had to do it. It's kind of like that. What do you, what yeah. do you think the biggest uh, the issue or stigma around mental health and trying to get people to understand this stuff? Because, you know, years and years ago, it would be if a person's bipolar or anxiety, depression or whatever, just, ah, oh, that person's crazy, which thank goodness we've moved past that. It's, you know, if, if someone's having a heart issue and they're taking a medication for it, you don't shame them. But if someone's bipolar or something, there's people that still shame someone that might have to take a medication or something. So what do you see as some of those biggest struggles in really educating people on mental health issues? I believe that there should be absolutely no stigma whatsoever when it comes down to mental health. Everything starts up at the top anyways. Our body follows our mind. So at the end of the day, cancer, any other disease, is there a stigma around diabetes? No. Is there a stigma around multiple sclerosis? No. Why should there be a stigma around anxiety that's making somebody feel uh, dissociated, out of body, you know, feeling off or whatever, alcoholism, anything that's, you know, in the mental health realm, there should be absolutely no stigma. We have all these days, like, you know, here in Canada, it's, you know, I don't want to disrespect Bell. Bell, let's talk day. One day a year. Are you kidding me? Every single day of every single moment should be a mental health day. Check up from the neck up, whatever you want to call it. But there should be absolutely no shame 
whatsoever when it comes down to if you're feeling off in any way, if you have to go to medication, if you want to take that route, and that's going to help you with the neurological chemical imbalance that you may have, then that's the way you got to go. I do it the natural way. I'm not on any antidepressants. Mm. I tried the bipolar uh, lithium there for a while when I went across uh, Canada and it was bleeding through my skin like battery acid. Um, so that's actually how I realized that I wasn't bipolar. I took bipolar meds for a little bit and they didn't work. I thought they were working, but really I was getting the natural endorphins by riding my bike across these countries and feeling my uh, brainstem and my vagus nerve with natural endorphins and having a, a healthy diet. And, uh, you know, I'm a firm, firm believer that, you know, associating ourselves with positive, like-minded people that rise us up is of utmost benefit, benefit to our overall well-being. You know, we, we, we take on the dominating thoughts and, and actions, a lot of the people that we hang out with. I woke up today feeling a little bit off, but at the same time, I was like, you know, I'm super stoked. I, I'm, I'm excited. I, to, I get to go on uh, knocking doors down and uh, share my, my story a little bit. And maybe somebody will listen to it and, and, and gets, just get, get, gotta get a little bit of inspiration that, you know, if, if I can do it, if Ryan Phillips can do it, anybody can do it. Because, you know, I, I mean, I tell you, it's, it's, uh, I'm not unique in any ways, but, uh, you know, like I said, I've, I've done a few things and, uh, but I, I, I don't plan on, uh, on giving up anytime soon. I, I, I really want to ramp uh, things up. You know, this movement is, uh, is, is near and dear to my heart, not just for Canada, but for humanity. But one thing I do know is that we need more peace, more serenity collectively. And that doesn't matter if you're an alcoholic, an addict or whatever, we're all suffering in some way because of what's been going on here the last two and a half years. And there's, and people are sick of it. I know I'm sick of it. Like I am just literally done with this. And so it's, you know, uh, that's what the, this is a weekend thing, you know, t- uh, teamwork makes the dream work come March 25th, dip those wheels in uh, the Pacific and, uh, shoot down to the Atlantic and get her done again. And uh, then uh, start off in New York and then come and visit you boys in LA. That's where I'll be, where I'll be finishing uh, when I get down to the U S side. So, but it's, you know, it's heart wrenching to see how many people are falling to the wayside with this and really giving up hope. And so if we can give hope to people at the end of the day, it's all about hope and, you know, using our energy and balancing that energy and be able to expand that energy outward. So the world can see how much awareness can come through definite action. So, you know, at the end of the day, Ryan, the weed guy, the weed smuggler that has a story probably crazier than uh, uh, George Jung from Blow, I can guarantee you that. Um, I I was in negotiations actually with HBO to get a series out with uh, the whole life story, but I don't think anybody can play me. (laughs) So I was uh, just going to ask, that was one of our questions, (laughs) is who would play you in a movie? Hey, Ryan, exactly. I'm not the best actor, but I'll give it a shot. I didn't study it. Well, it's uh, funny. I was at, I was at Universal Studios about five years ago, and they were trying to negotiate that. And uh, one of the uh, the producers that I was talking to, uh, he's like, "Oh, I think Channing Tatum would be a good guy." And I'm like, "That would mean I would have to like teach him this and that, and this and this and this and that." I'm like, all the lingo that went along with it. I'm like, I just don't think anybody could do it the way. I, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. Oh, he'd be a great, well, he'd be a good sidekick. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, and he's an incredible human being. Actually, I met him years ago. He probably wouldn't even remember when I was, I was living in LA for quite some time when I got my pardon. And, um, you know, so I met a lot of, you know, um, uh, known people down there, so to speak. And, uh, you know, a lot of people wanted to get that, this, this whole story back then, but I just wasn't ready to talk about it because sure. I, there was a lot of healing that had to, that was surrounded around this whole thing. And, um, you know, now I feel at peace with it. You know, I'm able to talk about it freely because, uh, the weed is free, you know, yeah. it's been, you know, there's no, uh, there, there, there's no stigma around marijuana anymore. So what was the collapse of essentially your, your empire, your industry when you hit prison? Okay. So, um, we were about to do a run, uh, through the bushwhack there. It was the summertime. So, uh, it was, it was very, uh, inexpensive for our transportation costs to get it across through the mountains. And we found a route, uh, that was about two and a half hours outside of Vancouver. And, um, we connected the dots with these helicopter aerial maps. And so it entailed having dirt bikes on the other side of this fence, 12 and a half, uh, 12 and a half uh, kilometers, which would be about eight miles up a logging road. And then what would ha- what happen was it connected to a, a state park on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I actually went back to play hockey for the last 18 games of that, that last season. I wasn't feeling good about myself for what I was doing. And I was like, you know, maybe I'll give this another shot. You know, my daughter's down there. Maybe things can get patched up with her, with her mom and I. And, you know, I had a lot of money sitting around and it was just like, I, I don't know if I really want to go deeper into this. I wasn't knees deep quite yet the, to, to where it went. One of my guys that I played uh, uh, hockey with down south, we grew up together. Um, he asked me if he could be uh, one of my drivers. He said, well, first of all, he asked me what the hell I was up to. He's like, how are you making all this money? And I was like, don't worry about it. It's, you know, it's just, you know, I kind of shrugged it off. I'm like, you don't want it. It's, you know, something that's not in your uh, wheelhouse, so to speak. And he just kept pressing and pressing and pressing. And then I was like, oh, God, you know, I I, I get home. Sure enough, you know, the first day I'm home from, you know, uh, the end of hockey season, which I said, I only played 18 games. Um you know, I'm uh, this place called the Cactus Club. I'm on the uh, the patio. Next thing I know, I'm sucking back sociables left and right. I'm hammered off my tree, and uh, you know the the, the bushwhacks wide open. Uh, I need a driver. I need to start making some bank again. And uh, called my hockey buddy there, who uh, asked if he could be a driver. And uh, sure as all heck. Um, yeah, he started driving for me, did about six runs and uh, saw the kind of money that was coming in and he got really jealous. Mm. And at this point, I wasn't touching anything on this side or that side. I was just merely orchestrating and conducting the whole business with the, you know, obviously masterminding the the situation. And um, he uh, pulled a rip off on me. I had no idea it was him. It was an inside job. He kicked in one of my safe houses. Uh, there was about uh, $280,000 worth of uh, marijuana in Canadian dollars. That would have been about probably four seventy-five at the time, U.S. dollars. Mm-hmm. Kicked in the door. I, I was freaked out, scared for my life, thinking that someone was out to get me. And my partner at the time was a very serious individual that my hikers had no idea about. And uh, that night there was a meeting. A couple uh, bullets got shot into a, into a speaker uh guns were pointed at, at at some of the people's heads and whatnot people are all freaking out 
you know, he knew I didn't do it. And, uh, you know, I was just, you know, now I owe half the money that was lost and scammed. What do we do? I'm freaking out. And I said, you know, later I met, went and met up with him later that night. And I said, look, um, we can make this money back in one shot. Um, I'll go with them this time and make sure nothing bad happens. And uh, two days later, we had 100 pounds, 103 pounds to be exact, ready to go. And I did the hike with these guys and I just had a feeling, my intuition that day. I didn't know the ramifications that would happen if I was busted on the other side of the border, but I just felt that something was off. And he got followed uh, from the Bellingham airport, which I told him never go to the airport to rent a vehicle as you know, they're very suspicious there. The DEA always watch the airports. I said, always go to a different rental agency to rent a vehicle to come and pick the hikers up. He didn't listen. He got followed. We're on the Mount Baker highway on the other side of the border with 103 pounds inside the trunk. And next thing you know, helicopters above us pull over. It's the DEA, da, 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 da. Uh, head plastered to the side of the road after five minutes of saying, oh, well, should we make a run for it? Well, next thing you know, if we made a run for it, we'd probably get shot at. So uh, cuffed and chucked into the back of a uh, Ford Expedition. And, uh, you know, that's where the legal process began. Uh, County jail, went to federal and, uh, you know, did my time. Found out the day after that it was uh, him that uh, pulled the rip off on me. And, uh, you know, he went MIA, you know, uh, you know, obviously he was probably scared for his life. Uh, I had, you know, I forgave him. I ran into him a few years later and I was like, you got nothing to worry about. Things happen. And, uh, you know, that's kind of just how it went down. You know, after that, you know, I see when I went to prison, it was like going to, it was like literally going to uh, college or university for criminals. You know, that, I, I met older guys, better connections. Um, I, I got clean and sober. I was clean and sober for almost two, two years while I was in there. It was over 500 days. I was in there. Maximum federal penitentiary. Didn't see the light of day for all that time. And, uh, you know, I, but I, I met, you know, some wonderful people in there. Not every criminal's bad, but what you see in there is bad. Worse than TV. I, I'm telling you, um, you know, I, I, I don't wish prison on anybody, especially if they haven't done something super bad. I mean, uh, you know, having your freedom taken away is, is probably why I'm having a, uh, maybe a difficult time these days uh, watching people, you know, uh, with all, all the freedoms that have been taken away from us. I'm kind of used to it because I went through it way back, but I see other people suffering and it, and it hits my heart. But, you know, I got out and I had all these connections and three days later, I was knees deep back in the business and three months later, I was a millionaire again. And, you know, that went on for a few years. Um, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. But then it was like, you know what? All these friends that are getting murdered uh, and it just didn't matter. All those millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars that came in, none of it made me happy. And um, so it was just it was time to make a decision back. It was about 2009. Um, I was like, uh -uh, not happening anymore. And it is things just weren't working. It just, they, they just stopped working because I stopped working mm -hmm. and I was living in this big mansion up in, uh, it was like one of the most affluent areas in, in, uh, where I live here in Vancouver. And I had mirrored ceilings on the wall and on, sorry, mirrored ceilings, 
mirrors on the wall. My room was massive. It's ridiculous. And I had this big party the night before. And there was, you know, DJ in the sunken living room. The whole, there was about 400 people there that night. And I woke up all alone. And, you know, I was had so much nose pack in me. I was picking my nose. It's bleeding. And I was like, you know, I just kind of hit it, hit the wall. And I, I could not look at myself in the mirror. Went into the shower and I was, I literally, I, I broke down. I fell down on my knees. I was bawling my eyes out. And I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. And, uh, you know, every time, I, you know, there was a few times that I was kind of like, tried to get convinced into doing this or doing that again. And it just never worked. It never set well. Um, yeah. So it's uh, yeah. Crazy story, but uh, you know, now it's, you know, something I can reflect on and, uh, you know, like I said, cause and effect. I know why everything I can connect the dots like a puzzle, really, and just put it together and be like, now I know why that happened. And I never thought I'd say I'm grateful that I went to prison, but I am, you know, I actually got to see it from, you know, going from professional athlete and having all of what looks great on the surface to only having to deal with myself in there and having to protect myself um, in many aspects, but, uh, also knowing that I could chameleonize myself really into many different, you know, cultures and whatnot, even in there to get by. Um, so it just, you know, it, it, it showed, uh, how resilient the human spirit could be. Well, before we yeah. get to our random questions, I uh, want to ask first, what's a DSM. You got the cool infinity symbol oh. hat and shirt for people that are listening on audio. <laughs> Hopefully you have a uh, look at the social media photos up there with uh, Ryan. But yeah, what's that brand about there you're wearing? Oh, this is what I slept in last night. It's my pajamas. No, <laughs> uh, divine right. source matter, DSM. I, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, we all uh, come from the divine source, uh, whatever religion you want to believe in. You know, I believe in source energy, uh, you know, that we connect, connect ourselves to source energy. So, you know, it's got the infinity as and then there's the matter so divine source matter and then we got the dsm hats and whatnot and we also have a cbd line that's launching here in the next couple of weeks down in the united states it won't be available here in canada um so it's yeah divine source matter cbd and uh the apparel line is being launched here in the next week so that's globally and uh 10 goes back into mental health if people want to know uh, more about you, find you, uh, website, social media, how can they do that? You know what? Uh, right now, Instagram's great. Instagram, <laughs> Ryan Phillips 888 And, uh, you know, uh, talk about mental health and all that kind of stuff. I'm an open book. If you send me a nice message, I'll get back to you very nicely. And, uh, yeah, you know, I'm here to help. That's it. Well, we're going to jump to some fun here. Some random questions. All right. Uh, Let's Mikey, let the roll, boys. What's your favorite hockey movie? Slapshot. How could it not be? I was going to, mine's mirror. I, I partied my ass off with the Hanson twins, like uh, <laughs> two on two specific times. They were fucking hilarious. They were <laughs> really? doing the whole, like, they were, they were doing the, uh, the pregame show uh, uh, with the cake and everything like that. And uh, we ended up going to Hooters after the game. And uh, so I met them and, oh my God, I was 20 years old the first time I met those guys. And I was like, okay, I'm partying with the Hanson brothers. They're at my uh, at my apartment now and we're just getting just gunned. And uh, I think I was really late for practice that next morning. But uh, next question. All right. 
in your opinion, uh, top three uh, Canadian athletes? Top three Canadian athletes, I'd have to say Wayne Gretzky, uh, Elvis Stoiko, who's a very good friend of mine. He was a world champion figure skater. Yeah. yeah. And <clears throat> Mario Lemieux. I'm a little, I was going to give you five. Because I was hoping you'd throw Bret Hart in there, but uh, ah, I used to get fan. compared to him. Actually, you know what? <laughs> really? Let's throw the hey, yeah. You know what? Hey, he was all heart. Let's throw the Hart Foundation in there as well. The two brothers. There's yeah. five. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, uh, him and Owen were were some of my favorites. You definitely now that you mention it, I could see you. you well, know, Owen, that's what all my buddy, all, all my Chinese buddies used to call me Owen. They'd be like Owen, Owen. I mean, I, maybe I did look like I, when I was all jacked up on steroids, maybe because sure. there was a time. <laughs> if you could have dinner with anybody in the entire world living or dead who would it be tupac Ooh, yeah. oh yeah why yeah um well, he wasn't just a rapper uh i really listened to the spiritual side of life that uh that he ignites with his passion and soul that comes from his voice uh so i'd have to say tupac yeah 100 percent. 100 percent. time to yeah Incredible. Plus, I know every one of his songs by uh, by heart, too. All right. How about this? You're on a deserted island and you can take yeah. one movie with you and one album. What would they be? I'm going to go off a whim on this one. I'll say Avatar and uh, Pink Floyd off the wall. OK, we've gotten some Floyd, but never Avatar. Why, why Avatar? Actually, you know what? Uh, I'd have to say uh, All Eyes on Me, Tupac. OK, yeah gonna say man. I, could, uh, I think you gotta go with tupac on that <laughs> i have to go with tupac and i'm a biggie fan too believe it or not so maybe tupac would actually still be alive on the deserted island so i wouldn't even need it well there you go rumor <laughs> has it he still is you never <laughs> know 100 percent. yeah you know machiavelli in the house right yeah, so. yeah, yeah. him biggie elvis uh who else is that michael jackson on that i'm guessing maybe oh they're all still oh. alive no matter what well ryan we we appreciate this so much uh for coming on sharing your story absolutely my pleasure and hope um but if you could leave any you know anyone listening with any thoughts or any wisdom uh what might that be I have to say that um, don't let mental illness, so to speak, define you. Allow you to define you. And I'll borrow a quote from one of my favorite authors of all time that every adversity carries with it the seed of an equal or greater benefit. And that's uh, Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. So, um, yeah. I'll, uh, and you know what, through my adversity, I found my authenticity. So, uh, let it go with that awesome. more to be revealed. Eh? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, eh? Mike, you got anything else? <laughs> no, I'm going home on that note. Keep knocking doors down. Keep knocking doors down boys. I love you. <laughs>